Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Seattle Lights in the South, a hella black podcast. We are your hosts. I am Coco Noir and this is... Pinkpin, hey. Hey. Thank you for joining us. Today we have a very, very, very special episode. I'm excited. For the girls. Absolutely. So we decided to dip into our Oprah bag and do an interview. So this week we had the opportunity and the pleasure and the honor of interviewing Corinne Crabtree, the founder and CEO of the No BS Weight Loss Program. Yes. So yeah. So we talked about it like last week when I was like, I was with life coaches for like the past four years. So yes. this is our leader. <laughs> <laughs> this is the one. This is the one. This is the one we are always in tandem with. Yes. <laughs> so if well, you guys probably don't know, but myself and my co-host are in this weight loss program that's run by life coaches. It's like, this thing, it's not a diet really like program. intuitive. Yeah. 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyways, we will have all of her information below, how you can find her on all the socials, get to know what the process itself is like, what should we talking about. But with this episode, we really wanted to step into like the life coach part of it, right? Mm -hmm. So we had to ask her some things, right? Had to ask for the girls, how do you deal with fuck boys? How do you deal with female on female relationships platonically? Right, right, right. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff that you just don't always think about, you know, just, yeah. We had to ask for the girls. We also had to ask about physical wellness because, you know, we're doing wellness around here this month. Mm -hmm. You know, it's never too late when it comes to wellness. So we asked her some questions and we kind of got into a little bit of how do Black women, from your perspective as an outsider looking in on the community, how, how can we alleviate some of our mental strife okay when yeah. it comes to the racial relations right so being a black woman in america you know or yeah. abroad <laughs> we get into all the things so i hope you guys really enjoy this interview we i really enjoyed doing this interview yes. i hope you learn a few things and i would just like to say again thank you so much to corinne for joining us But before we get into the interview, remember, okay, don't forget, we are here for you every Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. Let us know what you're liking around these parts. All right. And follow us on our socials, on Instagram and Facebook at Seattle Lights in the South. And (laughs) enjoy it. Let's get into it. All right, so we're just going to hop right into the interview because today we have someone very near and dear to my heart. I just love her so much and I'm really excited for this interview. It's been months in the making and I'm so excited. So this lovely lady joining us today is Kareem Crabtree. 
And she is, I don't even know, how, what is the spiel for you? Because I don't there, know how there to- isn't e- <laughs> There isn't even one. There isn't even, like we can't even. Yeah, well, I so- guess you give us your brief, you know, intro bio since we're just unable. <laughs> so I would just like to start this off with saying this might be the quietest I've ever heard Sierra since I've known her. <laughs> I know her as that- speechless is a, a new thing for me. So, true. Um, this is, this is so true. I'm Corinne Crabtree, <laughs> as she said, I am the owner and uh, founder, CEO of the Nobius Weight Loss Program. Um, my history basically is that from the age of about nine, I had started putting on weight uh, and then I just battled obesity most of my life. And then all the way through my twenties, my teens, I was um, suffering with depression. I attempted suicide at 17. So I just between being bullied for my weight, struggling with my weight, struggling with depression and all the things, I kind of came to a point in my kind of early thirties that I just really had to figure something out that the way I was living was just not going to work anymore. And it was, it was one of those weird moments where it's, I think when you've always struggled with your weight and depression, you always know the way you're, the way you're living isn't working for you. But there was like one day where I just had like a moment of clarity and it was just one little thought switch where it was just like, I am done trying to do all the special things. I just want to figure it out. And I'm willing to just do a little bit better each day. Um, I had a one-year-old at the time who, you know, he was wanting to play with me and stuff. And I just couldn't, couldn't keep up with my own kid. I couldn't keep up with my life. I was feeling like a failure as a mom, a, a wife, all the things. And so I just started making some small changes. And as I did, I ended up losing hundred pounds. Um, first time in my life I ever kept my weight off. I was always a good loser. I just wasn't a good keeper offerer. Uh, <laughs> but this time I figured it out. And um, uh, soon after I'd lost my weight, I, I just knew for the first time that I had really lost not only my physical weight, but I had lost all that mental weight that I had drug around with me all my life. I had stop talking to myself like a, like an asshole. I made sure that I thought more about what I could be doing for myself versus what I couldn't do for myself. So I just, I had such a, a, almost like a personality shift through all of it. And it was like, I went from someone who only focused on what was wrong with her and used it against herself every day to focusing on figuring out what what I could be doing for myself and that maybe things were going to be better than I ever thought they were. I was willing to bet on me being wrong. So kept the weight off and wanted to help other women because I knew that most women never could figure this out. I knew that I had struggled for so long. I'd watched my mother struggle with it. And I was just determined that I was going to help women. So I started my business and that was like 14 years ago and I've never looked back. (laughs) So that's been my life's passion since then. It's just to help more women lose weight, like not just to lose weight, to get skinny because society tells us we need to, but more about losing weight that we carry around because we're not dealing with our lives. Like Mm -hmm. I want to lose that physical and mental weight and whatever size we shake out after that is fine. It's more about I want it like my whole mission is to teach every woman how to lose her weight for good and feel as amazing as she deserves. Um, a lot of us lose weight, but we don't feel amazing when we get there. And I think that that's a raw deal. So I try to help women lose weight in a way that once they get there, 
they do love themselves and they do like their bodies and they do want to, you know, they, they have no reason to quit doing the things that they've done because they set it all up from a place of this is how I really do want to live my life. So that's me in a nutshell right there. <laughs> so she definitely gave us her whole resume. You know, she mentioned she was a weight loss coach. She didn't mention that she's a master life coach. I don't know <laughs> why hard. she didn't mention that. Just bring it but <laughs> we are going to get to some of the physical wellness and the weight loss. But first we have to get to some tea. But before we get to the tea, <laughs> because this is an Ask a Life Coach session, what the fuck is a life coach? <laughs> so a life coach... This is how I like to think about it because I was in therapy for, I mean, starting at a young age. I mean, I'm, I think the first time I started seeing someone who was in a therapy role was probably when I was about 11. Um, and then throughout my twenties, I was going to like deep therapy, psychiatrists and stuff because I had dealt with depression and suicide. Therapists are going to be the people that you go to when you have, um, trauma that's not been dealt with or like that you're really embroiled in still um that it's it's very fresh very raw um and you really need someone to guide you through tra trauma a life coach is where like in therapy we're working on someone who still feels like they have a very broken concept um and i'm not a therapist so when i say we i don't mean me <laughs> i just mean <laughs> like all of us in general who are helping people the therapists are people who really help you deal with stuff where you just need to get back to functioning. You know, you feel like you're not functioning and you need to get back to functioning. Life coaching picks up where therapy le leaves off. So life coaching is where it's someone who knows there's more for them and mm. they want more for themselves. They may have a lot of broken self-concept and stuff, but they're functioning like they're they're holding down jobs they're they they may be stressed and burned out and beat down and all this other stuff but they're also like the just the walking wounded that you see everywhere yeah. and what a life coach does is they help you figure out how to start telling the story of your life in a way that's going to get you to the life you want to create for yourself you know so like when you start life coaching um you have a belief that there is this better life for you and you want to figure out how to get there. You might not know. And that's where life coach helps you with that. I think in therapy for me, what was very different is I didn't know if there was a better life for me. I, all I wanted was just to feel better, but I was very like stuck on the idea. I'd probably never be better than I was. Um, like I just had lots of, um, I had what was called the little T trauma. I never had big trauma, but I had like an ass load of the little T trauma all my life. Like my dad checked out when I was young. Um, I was bullied relentlessly most of my life. Just, you know, just thing after thing after thing was happening. And it all culminated into this really broken self-concept of just life would never work out for me. It was always going to be harder for me. And if I could just get through it and figure out how to get through it, that's about where I was when I was in therapy. But the problem for me in therapy was that the more I went, the more I felt like we just was rehashing my past over and over and over again. 
And I finally realized that I didn't really need therapy anymore because I was done rehashing my past. What I really needed was somebody to help me figure out where I wanted to go. I just didn't want to dwell in my past anymore. And, but that came from a lot of therapy where we reconciled that things that happened didn't have to have power over me anymore. So that's kind of where therapy, there's like an interplay between life coaching and therapy. For some people, they take the two of them and work them together. Um, and some people just realize that therapy wasn't the route they really needed, that maybe it was life coaching that they really needed to go into. So I like that. <laughs> it sounds a lot. <laughs> My brain works all the time, thanks to this woman. But it sounds like <laughs> therapy is where you go to resolve something and life coaching is where you go to create something. Yes, that's okay. Um, that's that's a like very good way to put it. Exactly. I like, I like that. I like that. So we mentioned that we're going to have some, some, you know, real time. We're also going to have some tea. So we're getting into the tea, Corinne. Okay. I, so we talk about a lot of stuff on, you know, our show, our podcast, we're, we're pretty much out there. So we just wanted to get your input, some feedback um, on fuck boys. We <laughs> dealt with them a lot in our past and sometimes in our present, but um, so have you ever had any fuck boys? Have you come across them? How do you oh, yeah. deal with them? So I had them in my twenties. A lot of them. One yeah, that I really in the twenties. They were like, there. They were there. Yeah, they Lurking. were there. I mean, I literally <laughs> married one. When oh. so yeah, I'm not this is not my current husband. Although oh. he likes to fuck a lot. Let's <laughs> put it that way. But so when I was coming fresh off like my depression and stuff at 17, I was dating this guy. And from hot he was just I should have known he was he left one girl to come to me so red flag number one like and I was just too young to know it um but we ended up eloping like just like the second we we both turned uh 18 we ran off to East Tennessee and Dr. Benny Hill I think that was his name or no Benny Wallace married us in a little chapel in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, we came home and we didn't even tell our parents for a month because <laughs> oh. we knew how mad everyone would be. So we just went back home. Like we are literally, we went and got married <laughs> both. Well, good night. And then went home. Casual. casual. Yeah. Very casual. <laughs> and then we got busted, but then like, he was that guy that, you know, I mean, we were married, but not really. He was screwing everybody and everything, including me. I finally divorced. It was only took two years. I divorced him. But then he was that guy that kept coming back, um, you know, whenever I'm he stressed. needed plants be, you know, you said only two years. That's a long time. Well, the thing about it, I was 18. And before I turned 21, I was divorced. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Like I got over, like, I mean, we are, right, we were married, but like, we weren't together together. Most of it. we were like, like most teenagers, he'd piss me off. I kick him out. And like a few weeks later, he'd be lonely. I'd be lonely. And then mm -hmm. next thing you know, we're living together again, fucking for three weeks. And he'd piss me off. And then we would do, we just did this dance for like two years. Everyone had the same 20s. Yeah, we had the same, 
life like we all live the same life yes. so like we didn't really I guess like in our 20s looking back we, we would say okay we dealt with this but is there a better way to deal with fuck boys because I don't know if there really is honestly I, well I will tell you for me when I look back on my 20s it's like most of the time what I was doing the reason why I was finding these guys was because I and I want everybody to hear me when I say this I was looking for them, not because I really like my, you know, when I would do my dear diary, I'd love to find a fuck boy to, you know, mess with for the rest of my life. <laughs> but my broken self-concept was that was the radar. I didn't think I was deserving of anything better. Like my whole self-concept was terrible in my twenties. And so when I would scan the horizon, guess what? My brain would filter out anything good. It only filtered out one, into one thing. So if like going back, what I would love to tell my past self is like, you're, you're worthy of more, but if you want to just get laid, then just go get laid, but don't like tell yourself that that's all you get. And that's all you yeah. deserve and stuff. You know, it was like, I'm all about like, if you want to have sex and stuff, go do it and whatever you want to do. But so many of us are doing it because we think that we can't have any better and we have so much self-loathing behind it. That's how we stumble into these people that don't, you know, like for me, I just never had, like, I never had like a fuck buddy that was nice to me. They were mean. They weren't mean, but they were not. <laughs> they weren't, like, they weren't like doing they weren't anything pay for dinner and they weren't going to, you know, like it was like, stuff. we were having a good time. Nobody was calling me names or, or being mean, mean to me, but I was never their priority. I wasn't even their, like, I wasn't even their priority when they just wanted to have a chat. I was only the priority for one thing. And when I look back on that, had I been honest with myself and said, that's all I really want, I'd go out and find all that. But I, that's not what I really wanted back then. That was the biggest problem is that I really wanted someone to share my time with. And I wanted someone to laugh with. And I wanted someone that I could go to a movie with and do these things with. And whether or not we were have a relationship or not was very irrelevant. But I, that's who, not who I found because I just didn't think that those kind of guys would also want to be with me because I was a big girl. I mean, but that was my problem. You know, like I, I'm just a big believer in taking a lot of self-responsibility you know, I'd much rather take responsibility for my mindset back then so that I would never make that same mindset repetition mistake again. Does that make sense? Does that answer the question? Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure that I'm also very things are, accurate. Things are all, some, yes. They're all connecting. They're all connecting. Okay. Yes. Yes. And I definitely feel like, cause you know, the, the, we love to call people narcissists in our generation. The narcissists, <laughs> they love to, they, they recognize that in us. And so they, they go for us because they understand they can manipulate us and we can let it happen. See, and I, I mean, I know there are people like that out there, but when I think about my mental game, I just never want to allow myself to indulge in the idea that there are people out there who can spot me and manipulate me and do all these things. I think because all it does for me is it 
it takes my, my eye off the prize of defining who I am. It puts me and my focus on someone else. What I'm not doing is figuring out what my standards are, who I really want to be with, getting it so right in my brain what, you know, who is worthy of me to where a narcissist would stick out like a fucking sore thumb. Like a narcissist wouldn't sneak up on me because I know myself and I know what like I want. Like a cheetah in the wild. Right. Like a cheetah in the wild. Speaking of, I watched a documentary with Logan yesterday about cheetahs and how they attack and they work together as a team. And I was like, man, let's, let's hope narcissists aren't cheetahs. <laughs> They're good at their game. <laughs> We're going to switch to platonic friendships. Okay. Because one of the other relationships that we, you know, sometimes struggle with through our 20s are platonic women relationships. So there's, there's debates, but do you think women can be true friends? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And now this is, now this might be the difference between your generation and mine. Let's, let's face it. I'm 47, going to be 47 next month, but when you're my age, it's a hell yes. Your women friends are your friends. Like they are your, like, like my best friend, Jane, I joke all the time. I, my husband and I have an amazing marriage. I mean, most people would give their eye teeth to have half of what we got because we're such just, we're good friends. We respect each other. We're They're business disgustingly partners. cute. Oh my gosh. <laughs> we are the things, you know, <laughs> but my best friend, Jane, She's who I go, like, Valentine's Day? I can't tell you the last time I was actually with Chris. She and I have planned a trip. Every, and she's got an amazing marriage, too. But we're all, we always joke around how, like, it's Valentine's Day. Where you want to go? <laughs> like, I love that's, it. That's when we take our girls' trips. We try to see each other every single quarter. Like, we plan a, a three days to get together. She's the first person I talk to every single morning. I Marco Polo her first thing. She knows... I probably tell her more than I even tell my husband these days because there's so much about just my, just like my shit. Like when I have a shitty attitude or I want to bitch and I want to do those things, she's the one that wants to hear that stuff. Like I know my husband, he <laughs> will listen, but he's not like, oh my God, if you would just tell me your shitty ass thoughts, I would just be so enamored. You know, he's like, I'll listen, but what time is it <laughs> but Jane listens with like 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 it's an appetizer you know she's like this is delicious but like we're true friends and I will tell you she and I have hard conversations a lot about our friendship you know when one of us isn't basically like I probably have harder conversations with her about our friendship than I even do with my husband at times like wow. we are so open and honest and, you know, like if one of us isn't meeting each other's needs, we made an agreement a long time ago, we will tell each other, we're never going to let it get to a point to where, um, one of us is sitting around feeling, you know, abused or, uh, like doing the load, you know, and we've, it's so funny because like in our friendship, we've also kind of agreed on like who's responsible for what she knows that if we're going to go on a trip, she has to plan it. I'm not a planner, but she also, we also have agreed that 
I know how anal she is. Like when we go on a trip, <laughs> she got to have certain food. Like she has very distinct tastes and likes. I'm like, I don't care where we eat. You just pick all of it. Like as long as you'll plan it, I'm along for the ride. And so we've just had some really open and honest conversations like that. So I do believe we can have genuine friend, women friendships. It's really up to the women though, to be brave enough, honest enough, and strong enough to talk to each other. Yeah, it's all me. that bullshit that we sit around yeah. thinking other person's got to read my mind and yeah. like, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I'm like, it's a no for me. I feel like, like I, I heard this one's feelings all the time. Like we heard each other. <laughs> you don't hurt my feelings. You just really annoy me sometimes. I mean, yeah. Okay, just... Right, right. <laughs> I be tripping okay. sometimes though. It's some, yeah. this literally like, <laughs> I really have got to the point where I'm just, whenever I get upset, it's really just me. It's not even you. You're just out there being your five foot self in the world. But like back to the whole, like you guys have check-ins. Like, I don't think we've reached that point of our friendship where we yeah, have we're check-ins. Not, we're not we're 30 years in, but we're, we're not there yet. Yeah, we're not there yet. <laughs> so like speaking to the, the 20 and 30 year old women, how do you deal with like relationship with your friends falling out and someone said something and I don't like it, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to post on Twitter. Here's my, <laughs> here's my theory. If somebody says something and you don't like it, if you're not willing to tell them to their face, you shouldn't be telling the rest of the world, like grow Ooh. a fucking pair of balls. Like, I mean, Ooh. that's my opinion because I just think that most like the biggest problem that I see is that we're all sitting around thinking that people owe it to us to talk to us in the way we want to be like talked to. It's like, no, we owe it to teach the world how we would like to be talked to, not to sit around and bemoan about it and then share it with every single person in the world, but the one who said it. <laughs> like, it like when you say it out loud, it makes zero fucking sense. And yet it makes complete sense when you're sitting around just telling everybody like what you don't like about someone else. You know, I think that's where I will tell you what happened for me. And, and like in my twenties, I'm a lot like what you guys are talking about. I was very much a people pleaser. Um, I worried like I would lose friends and stuff like that. And then I'm also like a real angry bitch. So if somebody, like I can take a lot, but the minute you cross the line, I am like, peace out, fuck off. Same. And we will never yeah. speak again. It's and I've same. done that and burned friendships down like that in the past. Same. In my thirties, I really started to calm the fuck down. Like I <laughs> really, it was, it's just different. Every decade I strongly like I, you know, I'm looking at it from moving into my fifties now and every decade, there's like this enlightenment that happens. You know, when you leave your twenties and you go into your thirties, you kind of start shifting from caring about what everybody thinks to in your thirties, realizing, you know, I don't have time to worry about what everybody thinks. Your, your pool starts getting smaller in your twenties. You just have more and more exposure to friends. You're going out a lot more in your thirties. You start settling in a little and you start really realizing who you want in your life and what you do want. Like there's just this enlightenment in your forties, you're moving into this period of your life where 
you start thinking you're halfway through and your bullshit indicator goes way up now. Mm. Like you start getting more and more selective and it, you do it in a way that's for you. I just think that women get more independent the older they get and they drop that, at least what I've seen, we may still be people pleasers and we still may be um, concerned what other people think, but the level at, in, of intensity and how yeah. much will contort our life goes down the older you get. And I think it, it literally comes from that one thought of, I just ain't got time for this bullshit anymore. And you start really realizing what bullshit you want to keep and what bullshit you don't. And a lot of the time you don't need even half of it, honestly. Like there's just no, there's no, there's no point. And I guess that kind of, that goes into like, you know, kind of the next point. A lot of the stuff I feel like we get from like our childhood, like how we were brought up, the environment you were in, like what kind of parenting your parents had for you. So like, I guess we'll start from the beginning talking about, unlearning childhood programming you know what is that like how do we get to that point and can you reprogram yourself yourself or like what's the process for that yeah so that's a good question because I think it, it is important for us to recognize um so much of so most of us walk around believing everything we think <laughs> just our brain says, you know, it should be this way, or you should like this, you should have done this, or they should have said this. And our, we just believe it like it's the truth. Mm -hmm. And what we don't do is question like, really? Should they have said it that way? Really? Is it supposed to be this way? Like, where did this even come from? So much of what we walk around with as adults are messages, modeled behavior, and things that we collected with about a 10 to 12 year old brain. So about the age of five to about 12, our brain is just watching everything around us and it doesn't have reasoning skills. It does believe everything it sees. It looks at everything like, oh, that's how you should act then when that happens. Oh, that's what you should say. Oh, that's what that means about me. Like we, it just takes everything in as it's the truth and it catalogs it. The problem is, is we don't teach our kids after the age of 12 to have their own perceptions of themselves, how to develop their self-concept, how to question what they've always been told. We just keep telling them more and more shit to believe. That's how society pretty much raises its kids these days. So when you get older, you have two choices. Operate dysfunctionally based on everything you learned at the age of 12, <laughs> And then like, and then most of it is horseshit or doesn't work for you anyway. Like maybe it worked at 12, but at, you know, 24 or 44, it blows goats now, you know? So yeah. it's like, when you notice like some of your, the ways that you see the world or the way that you interpret things or your own self-concept or what you think should and shouldn't happen and stuff, you should be willing to question them all of your life. Yeah. Because even what will make sense in your 20s, like a lot of the, like even in my 30s, when I like got my shit together, a lot of the things that I thought about and that worked for me in my 30s do not work for me in my late 40s. Mm. You're always going to need to evolve 
what you think should and shouldn't be. You always need to be willing to evolve and question everything that you believe. Because if you're always willing to question all of it, you'll get really good at selecting what works for you. If you're not willing to question it, you may have some things that work and you might not have to do a lot of work, but you'll have a host of things that aren't working for you that you're just trying to make work. So I just think that it's totally possible. It, it's um, it's kind of hard to describe the whole process, but it's basically like just the short way to do it is whenever you want to at least find the broken things that you believe is whenever you feel angered, frustrated, uh, like something is um, sh- like if you ever catch yourself thinking it shouldn't be this way, it shouldn't be said like that. It's like when you think that there are these rules of how things should and shouldn't happen, that's the biggest flag of I have a rule. I need to make sure this is a rule I actually want. Is it working for me at this age? For me, one of the rules I dropped um, was just there's nothing people should or shouldn't say to me. There's words that come out of people's mouths and there's how I decide to take it. Mm. And I can either make it about me or I can make it about them or I can make it a nothing burger. Period, poo. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all are hilarious. (laughs) Why? Right, you're stuck with me now, so I don't need no right. one. <laughs> People think I'm the outlandish one. It's that one right there. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna move into the physical zhuzh wellness part of this because um I think, well, I don't think, I know, because you've taught me that all these things are connected. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So can you give us a little brief on like, what has your physical wellness journey been like thus far? Where do you think you're going? Because we still here, so we have places to go. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, it started with like, I mean, I grew up in a fast food restaurant. I mean, my mother she was a single mom. And so we, we have this running joke when we were, until I got to about the age of, I guess it was about 12 when pizza restaurants would deliver. We only did fast food because you couldn't get food delivered to your house. So we just go through drive-thrus. And so we, it was Hardee's, Kentucky fried chicken or McDonald's. So we would do like six weeks at McDonald's until mama got sick of that. And we'd move on to Hardee's. We'd do six weeks of Hardee's and she'd get sick of that. And we'd move on to KFC. And they were the three, the big three rotation. Cause where we lived, that was the only three that you could go. Then when we moved to Nashville, you could get pizza delivered to your house. <laughs> we were like, what? <laughs> so it was like, we're not even going to the drive-thru. We just get that pizza every day. So we would order pizza. And we would order enough pizza so that we could have breakfast in the morning because that was the only way you would get breakfast is if we left anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, you had to wait for dinner again. So that was my 
nutritional upbringing. It was, uh, you know, we never had fruit. We never had, we never really had real food in the house. I mean, every now and then my mom would get on a cooking kick, but, um, you know, I, I didn't know how to cook. I didn't grow up knowing how to cook. I just knew how to order pizza. Then, um, when I lost weight, my biggest thing was because I did not know how to cook and I really only ate out. That was the only thing that I was accustomed to was that when I was losing weight, man, I was going to have to work with that because I was not fixing to be someone that was going to flip on a dime and start cooking and stuff. So I just decided to make these small changes. Like if I was going out to eat, you know, some I'd leave. I remember one of the first big epic changes I made was I would leave mayonnaise off my burgers. I was like, well, I'm going to have to learn to like mustard if I'm going to lose weight. (laughs) So I just did a lot of things like that. And then once I kind of got on a roll with my weight loss and making changes, there was some basically curiosity and confidence that was growing inside of me. I was seeing that if, if my, if I was just on the pursuit to do a little better and figure out small things, I was like, this is working. So I got interested in like, all right, I'm going to go to the grocery store. I'm going to get some food. And so I started looking for all the food that was already cooked because that was all I knew how to do. So I would buy things like Boca burgers and cut up fruit and I would buy, you know, like chips and things like that. So I could eat home more than I ate out. And then as I did all of that, then I started thinking, well, surely to God, it can't be too hard to figure out how to cook this. And so then I just started learning how to cook a little bit. Over the time, I basically went from someone who only ate fast food to now I eat a salad every day for lunch. It's either lunch or dinner, but I do eat a salad every single day. It's got a lot of shit in it, but it's my salad and I love it. Um, I eat a lot of fruit. I love fruit. Um, I do a lot of like, um, like, like I really like vegetables and stuff now. I used to not, but I learned over time how to love all that stuff. It wasn't natural for me. And so I would say like these days, you know, if somebody, I always tell everyone, if the 250 pound version of me who was sitting on the couch crying, wondering like, all right, I'm going to have to figure this out. If I showed her how I ate today, she would have never started. It would have been such a stretch. It would have been out of her mind. Like she would have just said that can't happen. And so I always tell people, that's what you have to really think about. Most of us, what we do is we have this going back to our should conversation, like our beliefs and stuff. We have a lot of beliefs around dieting and weight loss that we don't know have been jammed down our throats from the diet industry from the get-go that are just lies. They do not have to be this way. And so for me, the real key to weight loss was to start where I was without shame. That is a big weight loss skill to be able to start where you are and unlearn shaming yourself because of what you've been handed down from the diet industry. And so now like I've been able to evolve there. Now, if I could have shown my 250 pound version, everything that I did that got me to where I am today, 
she would have believed it. Mm. She would have seen the journey of the transformation. She would have been like, oh, so on this day, you made this change. And this day, you made this change. And it took 18 months. Like, if I could show her all of that, I bet you that day, she would have been like, high-fiving me saying, let's go. (laughs) But what most of us do is we don't give ourselves the chance to even understand it is going to be a process. And through that process, you're going to get better and better and you're going to feel better. We just think like, I need to get to the end because that's where all the happiness is. And I could have shown my 250 pound version of me. I'm like, no, look, when we were like 222, we were so proud on this day for these reasons. (laughs) You get to actually feel better on the way down, but we don't think about it in terms like that. So that was a lot of it. The other, the big, big part of my journey, um, exercise was a big thing for me, but not because I exercised and lost weight. I had never played sports and I hated it when I was growing up. I was the girl that got sat out in gym class. It was a very physical exercise for me was a very embarrassing, shame filled and, um, feeling very uh, like disgruntled experience my entire life. I just want to interject because same girl, I got to the point where using my period and yelling it out loud was like my relief. I'd rather be the girl on her period than the fat girl in gym class. Yes. It was tough. Yeah, there was just, I just remember, oh my gosh, so many instances where I'd be forced to play And then the kids would make fun of me because I sucked. And I was like, well, I weigh twice as much as all of you. No, I'm not going to be able to run as fast. You know, like there's just do what I can do. Exactly. It's like, I'm here, be happy. Um, But when I started losing weight, the one thing that I had always wanted was my brother was very athletic. I had always wanted to be someone who could be athletic. And I did not know how I was going to get there because I had no experience in it. But there was something in me that just said that I wanted that. And so for me, exercise wasn't about weight loss. It was for me, a person I wanted to become was an exerciser. And so when I exercised every single day that I did it while I was losing weight reminded me of who I was becoming. And it was motivate it like that's what I think changed a lot of my mental attitude it's what changed a lot around my food I started really getting into the identity of being someone who was physically fit and to this day it means a lot to me like it's um like I always think like my exercise is probably the bedrock of what really helped my mental game and not because like I'd never lifted weights. And when I got good at lifting weights, I was so proud of myself. The first time in my life, I was ever strong. Like even Mm. to give you an example, last week I was on vacation in Vegas and I like to work out first thing in the morning when I'm on vacation, my husband sleeps in. Otherwise I'm just gonna be bored as fuck or working. And I didn't want to work on vacation. So I I head down to the gym and there's some douchebag dude working out next to me. And he is doing like, I don't know what he's doing over there, but it's like Cirque du Soleil, but he was not in Cirque du Soleil. And so like I'm lifting and I was lifting heavy. And the whole time I'm sitting there just thinking, yeah, douchebag, you just wish you could lift these weights. 
<laughs> but things like that, like I, they just motivate me so much because I never dreamed that I would be a girl who could lift heavier weights than some of the guys in the gym, you know, like that's something to be proud of. It is. And it's like, you know, that's why I tell women all the time, like, if you do want to move your body, find something you'll love doing. I love my walks. I can go walk for 90 minutes and get lost in podcasts. And I, I just, I love, it's not the exercise I do. It's none of that stuff. I love my self-concept. I love being someone who values and treasures those things because for many years of my life, I didn't, you know, I only talked about how it could never happen for me. It was all filled with shame and pain. And like, I just like, I, I think for a lot of people, when they're thinking about their health and wellness journey, we don't think about losing weight or anything as a gift. We think about it as fixing ourselves and, you know, correcting something that society thinks is wrong. And I just, I don't buy into all that. I'm like, don't lose weight for those reasons. You'll never keep it off. You're not fixing anything. We, what we have to be willing to do is say, who do I want to be? What do I want to feel like? And how do I create a life around that? You know, and for a lot of us, you know, we, when we just start taking better care of ourselves, you know, weight does start coming off, especially if you're doing it from a place of love. I love that. And, you know, there's so many different, I know we got to step it up. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many different parts to it, you know, Um, and we really appreciate that you're able to be mindful and cognizant of the part that you play um, in weight loss and and just your community. Um, And I kind of wanted to round it up with this. So, you know, in in the tribe, we have a group for women of color. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I really appreciated having because there's not a lot of groups like that who are mindful that we experience life differently as women Mm -hmm. of color, as black women, um, indigenous, you know, Asian, Latinx, all of that. Um, So, I guess my first question, you know, from an observant position, how can people of color process racism, police brutality, et cetera? Because it can, it can weigh on us. It, it, can, it can weigh on us and it can affect us in ways that we may not know and, you know, physically and mentally. So as a life coach, how have you observed that that's a better way for us to cope? Well, I think like the first thing, and I I just want to say, I am for sure no expert on it, but last year when um, George Floyd and everything started happening, it was uh, apparent to me that there was a lot I didn't know and that like I was watching our women of color in our group. There was a few people who were willing to talk about it, you know, in basically a membership of a lot of white people. (laughs) yeah it's like let's just be honest it's yeah yeah pretty much a lot of white people in there yeah I'm working really hard to change it though just to let everybody know like we're we're working on our shit but um I started kind of just really listening to it and figuring out like well what can we do I mean it I mean if you think about last summer it felt very um like for me personally it felt very alarming like I was like like 
I just kind of, I went through a lot of life without really realizing how different the experience was. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, things, but you don't really understand and conceptualize the difference in the experience. So I did, a, I did read a lot. I, we, we did a lot of internal stuff just behind the scenes. And one of the things that, that I have learned recently is that what we never want to do is dismiss the emotions and the, the, the toll that racism and stuff puts on you. You know, it's, I know as a life coach, we, we, we always talk about our thoughts, create our feelings, which they do, but there are some things that happen in the world. Just like, even if you think about um, rape and things like that, we don't want to just change our thoughts about something that we pretty much can all agree on shouldn't be happening. So it's like, for I think the first thing is we're not looking to make racism okay or the words people say okay in those things. There are times, you know, like a lot, most of our life, people are going to say douchey shit, like, you know, you shouldn't park that way. And we don't want to sit there and be like, oh my gosh, I need to sit here and process this emotion right now. It's like, <laughs> you, like some stuff we do want to just move on with our life. But there are some things that we actually want to be upset about and we need to be upset and we need to be angry and we need those things because it's a call to action in ourselves to get very aware of what's going on. It's how society guides itself is through that. You know, like if society never gets upset and society never is disagreeing and stuff, then whoever's the strongest, loudest wins. Yeah. And we don't want that. So as a society, we want conflict and we want turmoil and we want upset. We want those things. So that's the first thing. But what I do see a lot of people do and what I'm really trying to work on helping people understand is that even in the moments where we're talking about racism and stuff, we don't want to use it as a way to disempower ourselves. So to say, I don't agree with this and it makes me angry is one thing, but we can also have the and I deserve to take care of myself through it versus, and this is why I need to go eat an Oreo or this is why I need a donut. And that's Mm -hmm. like, just taking it back to the weight loss example is you have to have the dividing line. This is where we talk about like getting really clear on how you're thinking about things. Because for some of us, what we do is we start off with the anger and the frustration and the exhaustion and stuff. And then we add on the back end, very disempowering thoughts like, and this is why I'm overweight. And this is why blah, 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 blah versus, and this is why I'm going to take care of myself. And this is why I'm going to speak out. And this is why I'm going to do those things. And so it's like looking at our thoughts around all of it and figuring out how do I have like my anger or my upset or my whatever, and how do I have my own back through it? If that makes sense. As a black woman, that was heavy. Wow, that's a that's a lot. <laughs> I it is, say, but this is the thing. Just... <laughs> this is the work that is, I believe, like when we really start getting in, when we start thinking about the work and like stuff like that, it's where we start at a 
really good level of self-actualization and understanding. Like when you're really willing to go in and to be able to take like your own back and have it, this is the thing. Most of us want to feel empowered and we want to feel strong and we want those things. Having your own back sounds amazing, but it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Uh-huh. Because it, when you have your own back, it means you let people say what they're going to say and you don't internalize it. It means that you speak up for yourself in those moments. Like when we were talking about friends earlier, having your own back means you actually speak to the person, not to the Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. having your own back, like really getting in there and figuring out your thoughts and your feelings and like discerning them means very often you are going to have to do things that you're not comfortable doing. It is a lot easier to escape your feelings, to ignore your thoughts, to blame the world. That is why most of us don't go very far. We don't actualize our dreams because to actualize your dreams, a lot of times means people pleasing has to end. Honest conversations begin. Boundaries get set. Other people get mad. <laughs> that's <laughs> called going after your dreams. And that's why yeah. most people will not sign up for it. I will say... The one thing that where I'm getting stuck is understanding that I cannot control other people, understanding that I myself cannot dismantle centuries old systems of racism and patriarchy. I just can't do it alone. And I would also consider myself like I'm a, a, a social justice warrior. Okay. I'm out here in these streets, not literally anymore because we have a lot of license now. But just in all that understanding of I can't control things and they don't have to reflect on me, I still feel powerless because it is a system that is actively working. What the fuck? But I want <laughs> do you to do with about that. This. I don't. But I, I want. There's a couple of thoughts that you're having that are leading to your powerless thought or your feeling. I'm, I'm just going to get coached right now. Okay. You are. <laughs> so when you say, I can't, um, I, I can't remember how you said it, but I can't unwind. I can't control other people and what yeah, they you can't say control other people. Yeah. And you can't unwind centuries old uh, systems and patriarchy. That feels very true. Feels but if it's heavy. making you feel powerless, That's when, so Sarah, this is when we go from either argue for your powerlessness or dead stop it because it's useless facts you're using to feel powerless Mm. because there's, there's really no truth in that. It's just what you're hyper-focused on because the other truth is I have a platform. I can grow my podcast. I, I can speak out. Those are things that you could be focused on. You have to think about, do I want to focus on things that make me feel powerless or do I want to focus on the things that empower me? Because the truth is who knows if 
systems and patriarchy is going to get unwound. It's just, I don't think it's even useful for us to sit around and think it's going to take a long time. It's going to be hard. It's going to be all these things. I just feel like what it does is it takes a lot of voices that are on the cusp of making real change go silent because it's going to be hard. What is our, like our human experience, our whole brain is designed to avoid the hard work. So if you paint it to be a big, ugly monster, your brain will be very scared of it and it will diminuize you in the littlest of ways. It won't be the patriarchy holding you down anymore. It'll be me. Yes. It'll be your, it'll be your own self. It'd be your own self. That's yes. crazy. It really be your, you. You be you. You need to check you. Yeah. I think that that's just where, like, one of the things that I've really gotten into in the last year or two, like, as I've grown my own mind is figuring out what is useful to think about and what's not useful to think about. And I, like, I, and what's so funny is, um, like, I'm all, like, my poor husband, he just looks like the man. Like, I mean, he's bald, he's white, wears glasses. I mean, poor old Chris. <laughs> he looks like a poster child for the man these days. <laughs> and I'm always looking at, what will we doing something? I'll look at him and be like, are you trying to hold me down? Like I've, I'm studying this patriarchy thing. <laughs> he is always like, what are you talking about? I was just like, laying in bed petting the cat. You're the one. Suspicious. You're the, it looks yeah. like the ops to me. I don't. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, God, you really are becoming a warrior for women. Yes. <laughs> but like I sit there, it. but I sit there and I, I really watch myself as I study more of this, figure out what is useful for me. It's good to know certain things, but what do I want my brain truly focused on? If I have the choice, I want my brain focused on what I can be doing, how it's going to take lots of voices like me. I might as well lead the way. Like when you think about it, that's how I want you thinking about all of this. It's like, I don't want you spending time thinking it's too hard to unwind, you know, systemic issues. I want you thinking about, I need to inspire the next version of me. It's going to take a lot of me's. Yeah. Because either way, it's going to be hard. Either we sit here with the systemic racism, patriarchy, xenophobia, or we just get something popping. They're both yeah, going to be hard. When we're doing the work, when it's hard, the only thing that's hard about it is actually like motivating ourselves to do it. When we just sit around and think about how awful it is, it still feels hard with zero benefits. You know, we see a lot of like, even with that, like I think you're just so aware of these things and I love that, but like other white people aren't as aware all the time. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, how do y'all not know that this is happening? And then be surprised when black people or other people of color are mad. So if you could speak, you know, you're obviously only speaking for yourself, but what ways could white people be better allies? Because sometimes when they hear it from us, it doesn't really, you know, transcribe the same way. It doesn't resonate. So, yeah, it doesn't. Well, and I think that's where it runs up against. I mean, like I said, I'm no expert, but I think it runs up against, it's hard for, I want you to think about just every brain 
it <laughs> here's a good example like in our 20s like when our friend says something it's really hard for us to like get into their brain and like I wonder what her 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 inner motives were and blah blah blah. like what we do right. like that bitch shouldn't have said that like we just like right. go, we just go in with what we know right so I think that one of the things that helped me and I think that is helpful for a lot of people and, and I'm just kind of this way anyway is I read books I used Google like this is a big one for white people. Use Google. There's a lot of good information out there. If you really want to understand, like just look up words. And I think also watching lots of different media channels, like what I really did this last year, not only did I talk to a lot of different people, but I read books I'm not used to reading. So I read just a lot of black authors. I just started with books written by especially black women because even just like diet books written by black women had such a different perspective than diet books written by white women. Mm-hmm. Like I, a good example, um, Chloe Hilliard's fuck your diet loved that book. I mean, one, it's just hilarious as shit, <laughs> but she had always struggled with her weight and stuff. It was the first time that I ever heard all about, um, cultural foods and stuff like I just never had thought about as long as I've been in the weight loss industry I'd never really it wasn't until this last year that I really understood how how basically whitewashed losing weight was luckily for me I grew up in fast food but Mm -hmm. how like when you really look at clean dieting and all this other stuff it's very whitewashed and there's it's so disproportionate to the majority of people actually need help with weight loss, you know? And when you're telling them like, these are the purity foods and they can't afford them or it goes against their cultural background. Like you're just heaping so much mental shit on top of people. But her book was one of the first times where I'd even heard that concept even being talked about. No white book had ever talked about it. And so that just triggered me to start looking into, well, what are we even talking about here? It never dawned on me that when, um, especially like around holidays for um, like, you know, like any women, women of color from like from Mexico, like Dina, who is um, one of our community, she has like, she's, I forget where from um, her family originates from, but huge Mexican descent, loves all celebrations and stuff. And for her to not participate in those holidays with those foods felt like she was going against like family traditions. I have to laugh because showing up to Black Thanksgiving, not able to eat anything. Yes. You're getting roasted. Collard greens, like what? You're not... You're vegan. Just the what? experience of it all. Like, yeah. it's, I never yeah. thought about it until recently, just being on Instagram. But just looking at my own, like, yeah, showing up to Thanksgiving and saying, I can't have this, this, or this, it's like, what? Are you possessed it's like by a demon? Your like, ancestors <laughs> who, yes. you know, like, this was the thing that I had read and I, I had learned about this. And y'all can correct me if I'm wrong, but especially for like for black women and stuff so many of the things that are culturally significant 
started when the few times when slaves could celebrate with food and stuff, like they would Mm -hmm. like finally get some things and all this other junk. And then now we're telling you like, well, you can't eat that. That's like, you know, that's bad food, you know, all this other stuff. And so you're what's caught in the, like what I call the no win situation. So you go to black Thanksgiving and you're going to have like nothing but good clean food. And so you're, not only are you feeling denied and deprived on this side, but then you're also feeling like you're shitting on your ancestors. Yes. So you have no way, like, how are you supposed to enjoy that? You know? And so it's just, anyway, I just read it. You just eat the food anyway and you cry at night. Yeah. Like that's why I'm shopping up to the game. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's why this last year, as I really started like expanding my own horizons, I've changed a lot of how I teach around like I'd always done good better best but I really started it's like I was never one to demonize food but I really wanted to start giving examples of why we don't like really Mm -hmm. good reasons why why this is food is not neutral I don't believe that food is neutral I believe that food should be enjoyed the problem is is most of us don't know how to truly enjoy it We use it to hide and escape and to comfort. We use it for a lot of reasons, but if we're really going to enjoy it and honor ourselves and truly love ourselves through it, not going to have a problem with food, but you've got to divide it out as to when are we enjoying it and when are we using it as an excuse to enjoy our life. And so Mm. I think for going back to being a more of an ally I think there's a lot of listening that has to happen, diversifying things that like I started following all kinds of different accounts on Instagram, a lot of just, and and I started really, it's not even just for like for the women of color, but diversifying everything that I started seeing. I just really wanted to start. And I think it's good for everyone to do this. Don't just fall into the ruts of listening to what you've always listened to no matter what, you have to keep your brain challenged at all times, hearing different things, even if you don't agree, even if you don't understand it or whatever, we all need to be listening a lot more and consuming a lot more diverse things versus just making decisions and then only going in the one direction that we are. So it was like just books, uh, Instagram accounts, podcasts, um, like news channels. I just started watching every news channel. If I was going to watch the news every day, I would switch to a different station. I did that for the last year. Um, and then just like listening to you guys, it really helped me. I mean, I know not everybody gets this opportunity, but it helped me for you guys to have a group so that I could kind of see, um, more about the experience you guys were having. Um, I listen to a lot of my team members on my team. I have um, some women of color on my team and just kind of listening to them. We did a lot of diversity training last year. We had like every month we, we hired a, a, a group uh, to come in and work with us for a while. And then we read different books together as a team. And I, I really have to give a shout out to the women of color on my team because they were very willing to have true and honest conversations with all of us and just really talk about what goes on in their experience. And uh, I think it helped us all as a group because we, well, at the end of the day, 
like my mission is to teach every woman, not just the women that I know I can talk to, but it literally was to teach every woman. And to do that, I really had to change how I spoke and how much I knew in order to be able to reach those women. So I love it. I will also say to add that y'all don't ask me or nothing like that, but diversify, get some disabled people that you follow, mm-hmm. non-binary people. Yeah. Cause I have been, the TikTok has been eye-opening for me as well. Even though I'm a part of the alphabet mafia as a black woman, there are just things I just, I am just learning every day mm-hmm. on the TikTok. I'm like, I shouldn't on learn this much on TikTok, but. <laughs> and there's so many things that even like, I'll send you like, wait, break this down because I don't get this. Like, I don't yeah, want to be-, be real lost sometimes. I do. I be lost in the sauce. I be like, okay, is this blank phobic? Can I, like, how do I go through this? Are they being sensitive? Like, how do I navigate this? So I I know a lot of people say this, but it's really hard. Maybe it's because as y'all reminded me earlier, I'm a master coach. (laughs) (laughs) Like you really do have to not be afraid to be wrong and just start saying more things. Um, that was probably the hardest for me. Uh, I just, I finally just had to get over it. I mean, when, when you are learning at an exponential rate and stuff, it's just like, at some point you are just going to say some shit wrong. I remember one of the first women of color calls, like I said something real donkey right out the gate. And luckily the lady I coach, she emailed in, she was upset and I just emailed her back and we just had a really good dialogue back and forth. She's still in the membership. She's gotten coached since. I mean, we've moved past it, but you just won't learn. Like you just won't learn a lot of your lessons without saying stuff. You can't just be in a little bubble and expect it's just like, even with like weight loss, I teach you guys all the time. It's like, don't be fucking afraid to overeat. Like, how do you find enough after about 20 times you ate too much? You finally figure it out. But if every single time you get terrified that you're going to fuck up, guess what you do? You quit trying. Nobody wants to live in terror. Same thing we're talking about, you know, getting out there and having a voice or just talking to people and stuff. It's like, you will say some wrong things. You know, and it's like, be willing, but just be willing to be like, all right, got that one wrong. Let's keep going on. Because if you live in terror, you'll just shut up and you won't say anything. And for like, when we talk about being white allies and stuff, I think sometimes that's the worst thing that we can do is to like sit back and like say like, well, let someone else go. (laughs) Like, I'll just support (laughs) them, you know, from afar, but like, it's kind of like what you guys are doing when we were talking earlier, you know, if we really want to make change, more of us have to go first and show that it ain't that bad. Because if Mm -hmm. some of us just don't keep, if we don't just keep going first, we don't just keep being out there and stuff, then people are only going to see when it's a shit show and they're just going to be scared and they're not going to want to do anything. And we won't change as a society until we start doing more. And that's, I mean, that's just kind of my opinion on it. Well, with that, we're going to end because the ancestors have been talking to me real loud this year about go first. And apparently it's June and it's like, bitch, go first. Yeah, yes. girl. As soon, yes. as, as 
soon as Mercury gets out of her micro braids, it's over. Okay. <laughs> it is over. Cause we can't do it right now. We gotta wait for the shift. But I'm there. I'm there. I can't. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I really enjoyed this time. I did too. And I really enjoy that I, I can have more time with you. But as far as this podcast goes, thank you for joining us. Thank you for spending this time with us and just allowing us to be ourselves. Yes. <laughs> All of our ratchet glory and yes. just giving us opportunity to pass on this stuff to our listeners and hopefully they get something from this. Learn something from this. Learn. Power bangs. Okay. <laughs> well, I appreciate I really, y'all having me. It was fun. Yes. I, Thank I, you so much. I love the youth. <laughs> it's like look we may feel old but we're still the youth you, you will be the youth to me always <laughs> facts look, the 30s are the new 20s so that's right, that's right. <laughs> all right did you have anything to say over there red or i'm gucci okay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you said all the things i agree i concur thank you that was our interview with Corinne Crabtree that was a really amazing conversation I really enjoyed that so you know after we've concluded what would you say your favorite part was Coco I had so many favorite parts favorite parts is just it just felt like I was talking to an old friend because it is an old friend yes but She reminded me again and reinforced again that like, I am in control of me and myself and I. Absolutely. And that, you know, no matter what, you know, no systems, no person, no nothing can get in the way of me taking my power back. It's easier said than done, but you know, it was a reminder. I specifically enjoyed speaking with her about, you know, women friendships, because to me, that's very cool. Like, I'm a girl's girl. I am so for it. And I mean, you know, we're here together, duh. Like, (laughs) and I'm just like, wow, like, I love that, like, so many other people take their women friendships so seriously, because there's some women who, like, don't. They're like, oh, once I get a man, once I get a husband, like, I'm all about them and I don't have any women friends, oh which is God. so, it's so you, weird. It's so, to me, to me. You need your woman friends because, you listen, need them. You need them. Look, I'm married to a whole woman, so look, okay, when they get on your last nerve. Yes, child. See, they may be your best friend, but when they get on your last nerve, who are you going to complain to? You're not going to tell them. That's okay, who's gonna welcome your bullshit with open arms? Yeah. <laughs> who's gonna be on the bullshit with you? With you, with you, <laughs> with you, and exactly. that was the bullshit. Exactly. Is there anything you know you felt like you learned or were able to take away from that? Um, so this is gonna sound real like you didn't learn nothing. Duh. But as we've stated, we're in the in circle kind of sort of so you know we're in the programs 
Yeah. She goes super, super, super in depth with us all the time. Yeah. So it was like, it wasn't that I didn't, I knew it. She, she had taught me those things before. <laughs> yeah. Beforehand. Before, so, yeah, we had the inside scoop. We had the inside scoop. Yeah. We, we in there like swimwear. Yeah. But I will say it was great to just do it on like a, a conversational level. Mm-hmm. Instead of like me, like, <laughs> I'm fucking up. Help me. <laughs> 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 but it's having that girl Kiki, it was just like, kind of like how you were saying with the, the, the female relationships, just like what life could be. Like mm-hmm. we were talking, we were talking after and I was, we were like, we really need to like implement like quarterly girls. Yes, yes. And I was like, hell yes. yeah. yeah. And we I thought really like better about seeing each other. Cause she even asked us, she's like, well, when's the last time y'all saw each other? We were like, like February. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and not like we don't live like five hours away from each other. Like, yeah, we're not far away at all. But I was like, I really think of like when we spent like Valentine's Day in Atlanta. And and the the husbands and the husband was upset because we was all key cane together, but we was like, we don't give a fuck, we're together. Oh, we don't care. We don't care. We're happy. I feel like that should happen more often because that was like it was the time of my life. Because yes, it really, it really I really enjoyed it. And I didn't even think I would. Because I, you know, some people you can't go out with them and their significant other because They don't be inclusive and they just be in their own little world, especially as a friend who's usually single. So I'm just like, I really appreciate y'all for that because, you know, I didn't feel like a third wheel. I just felt like a third. So (laughs) I'm part of the team. Yeah. Over here, like, yep, mm -hmm, I'm with them. This today, I'm with them. Tomorrow, I'll be with them. But yeah, we definitely, definitely, definitely have to do more girl united things. I'm ready yes. To yeah, that was mm-hmm. my biggest takeaway from that. And I appreciate that because, you know, we we usually talk just to each other and we're the same age. So <laughs> no, <laughs> no, we usually just talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. So talking to somebody who's older and who has some insight even her talking about fuckboys we're like oh so this is multi-generational baby. oh yeah yeah this is this is these are the these are the steps we all have to go yes. through okay transcends cultural and age limits okay fuckboys are here to stay okay so- <laughs> they are the constant oh, are. Wow. well i you know again i just want to say thank you to Corinne and her team. Um, They were so helpful in implementing this and we just, you know, had a dream and we were able to get it going and we were so excited because, you know, it's Corinne. (laughs) 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 But thank you guys as well for listening to us. Um, Also, next week, we're going to continue our conversation and we'll be talking about millennial parenthood. Um, So we're really excited. We have two guests on that panel. Um, our friends, Jesse and Brian. So we'll be interviewing them about what it's like being parents. Excuse me. And what it's like being a millennial and how things are different, you know, how things are the same from when they're parents and just, you know, again, he, 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 shooting the shits. So 
we're here every Thursday for y'all. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. Give us a good old five-star rating, share your thoughts, and write a review. If you're on YouTube, remember to subscribe and click on that notification bell so that you're notified when we put up a post. Like this video and comment. And of course, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Seattleites in the South and come interact with the girls. We love to talk with you too. So if there's anything else that you want to hear from us, drop it in the comment, slide in our DMs, you know, let the girls know, let the girls know. And we will see you next Thursday, y'all. Bye.